0: Man, if there's an extra sense of excitement and energy in the room, it's not just because Jesus has risen from the dead, it's because I dressed like an adult today. (laughs) Woo, it hurts, it hurts. Not as much as Jesus hurt on that Friday, that's my spiritual justification. Hey, listen, again, happy Easter. If you're a guest with us, we are so, so, so glad that you chose to come and spend some of your... Morning with us on Easter Sunday, the most significant event in human history, Easter Sunday, the day when Jesus Christ broke up with death and busted out of the grave because after all, he is... In fact, alive. We get crazy around here on account of what Jesus Christ did two plus thousand years ago. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the events of Easter weekend, let me give you just a quick sense, a quick summary of some of its significance. On Good Friday, we call it Good Friday, as crazy as that sounds, Jesus Christ willingly went to the cross. But here's the thing. Jesus Christ went to the cross and when he did, he carried with him all of our sin and all of our shame and all of our guilt and all of our brokenness and all of our condemnation and all of our judgment and all of our hell. Which means when Jesus died on the cross and was buried in the grave, everything he carried with him, died with him, and was buried with him. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that means when they put Jesus in the ground, your sin and your guilt and your shame and your condemnation and your judgment and your hell went in the grave with him. But that was just Saturday. We haven't even gotten to Sunday yet when Jesus Christ broke up with death. Woke up from the grave and walked out of the tomb. And when he did that, that was his victory statement. That was his declaration that he had won. Mission was now accomplished. Everything he set to do, he did. rose from the grave. Which was his way of announcing to us that is your confirmation. That all of your sin and your shame and your guilt and all of your condemnation and your judgment and your hell has been defeated and is dead in the grave. It no longer has to have power over you because Jesus Christ is risen. The most significant event in human history and the reason Jesus did that is pretty awesome. He did that so that he could remove every obstacle that stood between us and God. More importantly, he did that to remove every obstacle that stood between God and uh, He did that to remove every obstacle that stood between you and heaven. And more importantly, he did that to remove every obstacle that stood between heaven and you. Kondo, why do you keep saying more importantly? I'll tell you why. Because as it turns out, you got the better end of the deal in that exchange. As it turns out, the obstacle of your sin and your guilt and your shame and your condemnation and your judgment and your hell did not make God any less God. It did not make heaven any less heaven. He didn't need it as much as we needed the obstacle to be removed. But now the obstacle is removed. Jesus has risen from the dead. It's his declaration. There is nothing standing in the way. Of you being able to experience all that God is. There is nothing standing in the way. Heaven is open and is now ready to pour out all of its best stuff onto us. On account of the fact that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Oh, and by the way, this is going to come in handy as we continue this conversation. Jesus Christ didn't just rise from the dead. I don't know if you knew. He walked around the earth for a few days and then he just kept on rising. And rising and rising some more until he finally reached his destination seated at the right hand of God on his throne. Why? To make sure that everything he intended for us to receive can now be received because he's removed every obstacle. Now he wants to make sure we get what he designed for us. The things that our souls so desperately longed for. It is a massive statement when we say Jesus is alive jesus has risen from the dead i just came to announce to somebody who maybe didn't know the obstacles have been removed if you're a follower of jesus christ heaven's doors have been broken open and jesus is seated pouring his best stuff out on You Matter of fact, that's what we want to look at this morning. That's what we want to talk about on account of what Jesus Christ has done. And I don't know how else to say it, but I came to tell you that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are so spoiled. We've been talking about like identity, like who we really are when it's all said and done. And this morning, I just don't know how else to describe your spiritual identity except to say when God looks at you, he sees one of his kids that he loves to spoil. You are so spoiled on account of what Jesus Christ has done on account of the fact that he broke heaven open and is pouring out all of his best stuff on you. You are so spoiled. Look at you. In your spoiledness. And we're gonna see that in this section of scripture that we are going to look at this morning. Here's how Paul says it check out Romans chapter 8, verse 31. We're going to read a a section of scripture, just an incredible uh, section of scripture. If you have a copy of the Bible, you can meet me there in Romans chapter 8. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, the verses are going to appear up on the screen. And I hope that by the end of this morning, you'll be a little more convinced of how spoiled you are. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I pray by the Spirit's power that you will be compelled to join the ranks of the spoiled and experience what heaven longs to pour out on you. So spoiled. Here's how Paul puts it. Romans 8 verse 31. What then shall we say in response to all of these things? If God is for us who can be against us? He God who did not spare his own son, Jesus, but gave him up for us all, that is Easter weekend. How will he not also, along with him, Jesus, graciously give us all things? You are so spoiled. How do you know? Well, Paul says it easy. If God... Was willing to let Jesus leave heaven and suffer on earth and die on a cross for you? Or you're spoiled? If God was willing to give us his best and most priceless treasure in the person of Jesus Christ. If he was willing to give Jesus up for us. Who deserved death and we deserved judgment and we deserved hell because of our sin and our shame and our guilt. If he was willing to give us Jesus, oh, we're spoiled. Because Jesus isn't just everything we needed. He is infinitely more than we deserved. He is infinitely more than we could possibly have ever asked for. And I don't know what your definition is, but when you get infinitely more than you need, when you get infinitely more than you deserve, you're kind of spoiled. When you have an overabundance of stuff that you can't even use, there's so much of it, and you didn't do anything to earn it, you're kind of spoiled. Just say in fact, in this section of scripture, I want us to look at three ways in which God just spoils his kids. He spoils us in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you just embrace this idea. Just embrace the thought. One of the first things that emerges about the way God spoils us is that He spoils us with His His over-generosity, His His over-generosity, His 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 lavish generosity on us. He gives us way too much. Paul makes this brilliant logical argument for our souls, right? If God was willing. To empty heaven and give you his best and most precious and most costly and most valued thing, so to speak, in himself, in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul asks this beautiful question. Beautiful question. What good thing could God possibly refuse to give to you? Oh, don't answer the question. The answer, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is nothing. That's Paul's whole point. If he was willing to give you Jesus and have Jesus suffer for you when you didn't deserve it, when you rebelled, when you were running from him, you are so spoiled and there's not a single good thing God is not willing to give you. Not one. That is the definition of extravagant generosity. Matter of fact, God is constantly looking for excuses to pour out good things on his kids. We are so spoiled. Um, in this conversation we've been having about our identity, we've been asking the question every week well, if this is true about us, if this is who God says we are, then what lie might Needs to die. And I don't know all the lies that may haunt or plague you, so maybe I'll just speak to the ones that emerge in my own life. But if God is overgenerous, and I'm telling y'all on this Easter Sunday, the lie that needs to die, at least one of them, is the lie of deprivation. Deprivation. Deprivation is a lie. You cannot be a spoiled child of the high king of heaven and also be deprived. Those two things don't go together and it's frankly a bad look for the king. The idea that there is something you desperately need that you do not have is a lie. You're too spoiled for that. Your father is too good for that. And I meant it when I said we might need to take a moment to let these truths seep into our souls. Deprivation is a lie. There is nothing you deeply or desperately need. That you don't have and behind that lie is a bigger lie that the enemy has been whispering into the ears of humanity from the dawn of time. And it is the lie he whispered to Adam and Eve in the garden and the lie goes something like this. Oh, God is holding out on you. If he can get you to believe that lie, God is holding out on you. There are all of these good things. Matter of fact, your neighbors have them. Your friends have them. Other people seem to be experiencing them on social media. But you don't have them because God is holding out on you. He's keeping these good things back from you. Paul takes that lie and he puts it in a chokehold. And uh, he he starts to to do that by asking the question, a great question. Hang on. If God was willing to give you Jesus... What good thing could he possibly be holding out on you now? Uh, In other words, hang on. So God gave you his son. And then all of a sudden he became uber stingy with a significant other. And now your singleness is a curse. And because God is holding out on you, you've got to go at it and fix it yourself on Tinder. Because you are deprived of love and you are deprived of affection. And you've got to get right what God has got wrong because everybody else seems to have it. But God's been holding out on you. So you better do whatever you need to do to fix this deprivation. If you start to believe the lie. I mean, God let his son suffer for you. And then he got super stingy with sexual gratification. Because God doesn't want you to experience any pleasure. So you've got to go make a way and figure it out online. Because he's holding out on you. Because that's the kind of God that he if you start to believe the lie, the lengths you will go to to start to try and, and figure out and, and, and to make up for God's acts of deprivation. I mean, he turned his back on his own son on that Good Friday on the cross, but he's not willing to give you that dream job that you've been asking for for so long. So now you've got to go talk junk behind that other coworkers back to give yourself a, a little step forward in the promotion race. Now you've got to start working 80 plus hours a week at the expense of your family because you must have that sense of significance and that status that God is clearly depriving you of because God's holding out on you. And Paul says, really? He gave you Jesus but not the job. Um We need to stop living like we're groveling for scraps. There is no deprivation in God's family. He spoils us way too much. For that. Now you may not like what I'm saying, but it'll be awkward if you left, obviously. Um, but you will not like what I'm saying, especially if you mistake your feeling of desperation for deprivation. Just because you feel desperate for something that you do not have does not mean God is depriving you. That is a mistake I make way too often. God is our father who loves to spoil us with good things. So I'm just saying, is it possible That maybe if you don't got that thing that you feel desperate for, it's because it ain't good for you right now. Just because you're desperate for it doesn't mean it's the thing that you ought to have and that God is depriving you of it. Somehow, singleness may be the best thing for some of y'all right now. Just because you feel desperation to to, to take long or short walks on the Winona Beach, there's not too much room there. Or to go to a movie with somebody or to feel like the love and affection of, of whatever it is. Doesn't necessarily mean, oh, that's the goodest thing for me right now. But when I start to believe the lie of deprivation, I'm going to think every feeling of desperation must be something I must quench. It must be something that God is not filling because I want it and I don't have it. So therefore, maybe if you don't have it right now, it's because your father is so good. He knows what's best for you. In fact, while I'm saying this, can I just talk about our culture? You will not like what I'm saying. The minute you let culture start to define for you what enough is. All of a sudden, I'm feeling desperation and I'm feeling deprivation because we don't make enough money. We don't go on enough lavish spring breaks because we don't have the latest and updated home decor. Because that's what's... I mean, Instagram has clearly made clear... Listen, the world and the culture may be able to speak about what's trending, but it doesn't know what's good for you. It doesn't know what you actually need. When you start to believe the lie, when you start to jump into the comparison trap, you start to feel desperation and you begin to believe God must be depriving. He will never deprive you of something good. Condor, how can you say that? Do you understand some of the physical limitations that I have? I know you can't move like you used to. And there are things in your body that you can't do that you maybe were able to do a few years back. And it's tempting to believe God is depriving me of. Yeah, but maybe God in his goodness is just carrying you into spaces more glorious than this world could ever appreciate. Because your God is too good for that. He spoils his kids with over-generosity. Deprivation is a lie that must die. God does not hold out good things from his kids. He is always over-generous. He is never stingy. I don't know what area of your life you might be experiencing desperation that you're mistaken for deprivation, and you need to declare over that space God is never stingy with me. He is always over generous. And even in seasons when it feels like there's not enough, there's a little shortage, God says, Your shepherd, you lack nothing. So God, while I'm looking for you to deliver in this very area, maybe you're delivering a package of your goodness in a way that I don't yet see because I'm so fixated on how the culture has defined enough and I'm missing your goodness and your generosity. I dare you to look around. If you're feeling desperate or you're feeling deprived, I dare you to look around and see if you don't quickly discover another way in which God is richly lavishing his goodness in your life. Paul says what good thing is he going to withhold from you if he was willing to give you Jesus. Alright he carries on verse number 33 he asks another question and yes it's a rhetorical question who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen it's God who justifies man who then is the one who condemns don't answer that it's a rhetorical question no one christ jesus who died that's good friday more than that was raised to life that's easter sunday and i don't know if you heard but he continued to rise and rise and rise and is at the right hand of god and is also interceding for us Now, I don't know how it works at your home if you have kids. I don't know how it worked maybe in your home growing up if you have siblings. I don't know how it maybe works in your classroom if you're an educator or how it worked in your classroom if you went to school, whatever. Uh, At my home, um, my kids are naturally gifted. And I'm not saying this to brag. They are so naturally gifted. In the art of tattletaling. It's unbelievable. My word. My word. They are experts at delivering the most incriminating information on the sibling. That they are just not thrilled with at the time. And they do it with passion and precision. It's unbelievable. And then. I saw her eat it. Right in her mouth. In her bed, Dad. In her bed. I'm like, whoa. That's pretty intense. And you said no more treats today and never in our beds. And every now and then I'll ask the question like, okay, so what would you like me to do about this? <laughs> 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 um, I don't know. I mean, um, maybe just a couple of harsh measures to send a message. I don't know, dad. I mean, punishment and maybe pestilence. I don't know. Maybe a little death. I don't know, dad. I mean, you're the dad, Right. You're the dad. And um, (laughs) which drives them absolutely crazy on the occasion when I say something like, oh, she's good. I said it was fine. What? In her bed? Right? And to start reminding me of the rules that I've made. You said, Dad, you said, you said that this should this should should never happen, Dad. And then obviously the next step that has to happen in our home at least is this. It's not fair. It's not fair. She should at least die a little bit. It's not fair. And they're getting big enough that they understand how to get under my skin. And they may say something like this. Dad, you're just letting her get away with it because she's your favorite. And that's when I'm like, do not speak those words. You may not be wrong. (laughs) but (laughs) but (laughs) Do not say that though out loud that's what paul is saying in this section of scripture if you're a follower of jesus christ it's not even fair which is by the way one of the reasons the devil hates you you said god you said if anyone sins i messed up like two or three times you kicked me out of heaven and now you do what for them it's not fair It's not fair. You just let them get away with stuff because they're your favorite. And God is like, that's actually true. Yeah, it's actually very true. This is such a powerful section of scripture. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are so spoiled with God's over-forgiveness. He has forgiven you more than you could possibly sin in three trillion lifetimes. You're spoiled. You have more forgiveness than you ever need. So spoiled because of what Jesus did, God lets you get away with it because you're now his favorite. Chosen. Chosen. It says in this passage of scripture, you make no mistake, you have done. You have eaten in your mouth, in the bed, and everywhere else. You have done stuff that deserves punishment. You've done stuff that deserves eternal, not just a little death, but permanent death in hell. And yet, because of what Jesus did on that Good Friday and on that Easter Sunday, God says... She's good. I said it's fine. What? By the way, our own souls should protest, which is what worship is. Worship is the most glorious of protests. It's when our souls realize and start to ask the question, God, what? I don't deserve, that's not fair. I don't deserve that. I deserve this. How can I thank you enough? How can I thank you enough? That's what Paul is saying in this section of Scripture. This is so powerful. And so Paul asks the, uh, the very necessary and the New Orleans question. To our souls. Who dat? Do you see that in the passage? Who dat? If God has said you're good, because it's God who justifies, it's God who says we're fine. If God says we're fine, Paul's asking, "Who that?" Trying to tattle on you in the presence of God. Who that? And then he says, "Don't don't worry." Answering the question, it's a rhetorical question because it doesn't matter. It doesn't work on account of the fact that it's God Himself who says you're fine. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's God Himself who says you're forgiven. It's God Himself. Who says heaven has no record of any wrongdoing on your behalf. Not a single one. It's God who says I look at you as if you have never sinned. How spoiled are you? Because you know you have. It's God who says you are over forgiven. I'm going to pour out more forgiveness than you ever be able to use up. Who that? No one can successfully tattle on one of God's kids when God's the one who says she's fine and she's kind of my favorite. And more than that, Paul just takes it to another extreme. He says, oh, and on top of that, Jesus Christ is seated next to his father. And he keeps saying to him, Easter, 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 Every day about you, Jesus is like Easter, Easter, meaning what? I took care of that. Oh, I also took care of that sin. Oh, I died for that one too, Easter. (laughs) And I defeated that. And I covered over that mistake. And I took care of that one too. Oh yeah, I I died for that. I suffered for that. I removed that shame. Oh, I left that one in the grave. And God, the Father's like, I know. I know, I'm just reminding you. It's my job to intercede on their behalf up here. I'm just trying to remind you of everything that I've done to cover over every mistake they could possibly have made. And Paul says, who that? If Jesus says, I took care of it, and God says, she's fine. Good luck bringing an accusation against one of God's favorite kids. Good luck. It's not going to work. You're so spoiled. And you're getting away with everything. You are totally accusation proof in the presence of God because of what Jesus did and what God said. If that's true, what lie might need to die? I think one obvious one, at least to me, is condemnation. 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 Is a lie. It's a lie. If God is the one who justifies, there is no one and nothing that can possibly put you at odds with Him. Nothing. And I just came to ask on this Easter Sunday, some of you, I just came to ask you, like, what passed? What passed? if this is true there is no mess there is no mistake that you've ever made no matter how big no matter how small no matter how often that has any ability to ill position God with you or you with God nothing nothing Because he's the one who said It's fine And Jesus by the way Is the one who said Last time I saw her pass it was in the grave Pretty sure I left it in there Uh, So some of you need to stop Exhuming your past You need to stop going back to the grave And digging it up Because he said it's fine And if he says it's fine Who are you? To bring it back up. Haunted by the mistakes you've made. Like they still have power over you. And on this Easter Sunday, for some of you, that lie needs to die. And your past needs to go where it belongs. In the past. In the pit. In the grave. That's the reason some of you have stayed away from church. Except for this exception Sunday. No, you don't understand the things I've done. And if man, if the church found out, who are we? Who's the church? (laughs) If God said you're fine. If we ever are the ones who start reminding you of your past, when he says it's fine, kick us out of church. Come worship by yourself. But for many of us, I think we're still haunted by the past. Come on. I came to ask somebody, what behavior? Because you still act like your behavior has the power to commend you to God or to condemn you in his presence. No, you don't understand. I, when I'm on a streak of righteousness, like me and God are good. But when I mess up, man... It's really bad. And God changes his perspective about me. And poets say, your past, what's that? And then he would ask you the question, your behavior. It's God who justifies. It's not your behavior. It's not your good behavior. It's not your bad behavior. It's not your streaks of holiness. It's not how long you've stayed away from that habit. It is not your behavior that justifies. It's God who says, she's fine. And the lie of behavior and and management, it has to die in the presence of this truth. And for some of you, Enneagram 1s, you've just got to picture God's conversation with your inner critic. No, but she didn't do it perfectly and she messed up again and she's not living up to the standard and she's just, it's not enough though. It's not enough. She just needs to do a little more and then she can rest. No, but no, she can't really rest because she has to keep inner critic that continues to, to replay the voice that you are not enough. You're not doing enough. You've not quite measured up. And I can imagine God just looking at your inner critic and saying, I'm sorry, who are you? Because I've spoken. I've said he's fine. I've said he's good. If my voice has said you are justified, free to live, then how is your inner critic still telling you a lie? And having such power in the way you live. God's the only one who gets a vote when it comes to your guilt or your shame or your condemnation and because of what jesus did he says you're good if you're a follower of jesus christ he says you're good no matter what your mistake might be telling you if he says you're fine please hear me condemnation is a lie if he says you are fine that settles the matter end of conversation straight facts like my kids would say no cap Whatever that means. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. This is how the chapter starts. With this declaration. Therefore, if you're a follower of Jesus, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? How about on this side? Do you believe that? All right. Paul goes on. We'll look at at one more. He says, verse 35, who shall, another rhetorical question, separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him, Jesus, who loved us. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are spoiled with God's over-acceptance. You are spoiled with God's over-love. You are more loved than you know. You are more loved than you could possibly imagine. And you are more loved than you could ever possibly shake from. God could not in Jesus love you anymore and God will not in Jesus love you any less there is nothing you can do to make him love you more there is nothing you can do to make him love you less you are so spoiled that's what Paul is declaring Easter is a reminder you will never be unloved never I just came to remind somebody, rejection is a lie. It's a lie. And it's a lie that has so much power over me because I continue to give it power and I continue to listen to its voice more than I listen to the voice of my father in the finished work of Jesus. Rejection is a lie. And Paul knows the way this works. And he knows that Man, rejection is a lie that screams the loudest when we're in the most painful seasons of life. The seasons that make us feel like there is no way I can be loved and going through this. There is no way I can be loved and experience this at the same time. Paul knows it's when we are going through the most difficult of seasons that this truth becomes the most difficult to believe. And so what Paul does is he starts to list some of the most challenging seasons we could possibly experience. He starts to list some of the things we fear the most and then he speaks the love of Jesus into those seasons just to remind us and he loves you even there. And he loves you even still. And he is with you even there. And he picks things like trouble. And this is trouble. Trouble? Trouble can't separate you from the love of Jesus. When things just feel hard and difficult, and nothing seems to be working, and nothing seems to be going your way, and life just feels hard. Oh, it's tempting to believe. My God is no longer good, and I'm no longer loved, and the voice of condemnation loves to sneak into there, and it's probably because of something that I have done. And Paul says, No, he could not love you more right here. And some of you are in those seasons right now, things are hard in your life. And Paul would say on this Easter Sunday, remember. That difficulty, trouble, does not in any way distance the love of Jesus from you. In fact, Jesus is with you in the midst of that trouble, knowing exactly what it's like to walk through these painful seasons. You will never be unloved. You are not unloved in this difficult season you're walking through right now. And he talks about hardship. This hardship can't separate you from the love of God. These are the relational things in our life where the people you trusted betrayed you and they burned you. They walked out on you. They abandoned you. And they started talking about you behind your back. They wounded you in the most unimaginable ways. And it's tempting to believe I am rejectable now. I cannot possibly be loved because those people walked out on me. And in the midst of that, Paul would re-speak the love of Jesus. You are loved in the midst of this all. And none of this can separate you from the love of Jesus. He's with you. Even here, you are not rejected. You are loved. There is no way that he is taking even a step in the other direction. Paul talks about persecution and danger because I don't know if you've seen what happens to people when we feel threatened or when we feel attacked. It is in those moments we start to believe all kinds of lies and we start to make life shaping decisions in the midst of all of that And for some of you, you may be in a season like that where you're feeling attacked by family, you're feeling attacked maybe by the culture or by the political um, landscape, whatever it is, you're feeling threatened like the future is not very secure. And Paul would say, yeah, even in the midst of that, you are not rejected, he's present with you, his love is real even There, he talks about famine and nakedness. Now he's talking about the moments where we feel like we don't have enough of what we need to survive or to get by and there's a shortage of this. And you've seen how we behave when we believe there's a shortage of chips or when there's a shortage of toilet paper. We lose our minds. And Paul says, no, we are no less loved In the midst of those places, God is no less generous with us. Jesus is no less present with us. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are overloved. And the times when that is most difficult to believe is when we're going through difficult times. And I love what Paul says in this section of scripture. In your most difficult season. You are loved even there. This is the hardest one for me. Especially when it comes to people. Um, I live with a constant fear of rejection. Constantly. And here's how it works. It is this fear that man, if people find out who I really am... They, they, there's no way they're going to love me there's no way they're going to embrace me if people find out what I did or if people find out this thing about me or that I'm not really good at that thing then they're going to reject me they're going to walk away from me so I've got to play this game and I've got to put on this facade and become so exhausting because I'm so afraid of being rejected and if you're anything like me it's one of the reasons why we put on these masks and we pretend to be people that we are not because we're so afraid that even the people in our closest spheres, if they found out that one thing they may walk away from us they may reject us and reject is one of the greatest fears in our souls, and the truth of the matter is they very well may. I think everybody has a deal breaker. I mean, it's the something you do or something you do enough times, and they're like, we're out of here. And so we live with this fear, and yet Along with that fear, our greatest longing is to be fully known for all of our mess and all of our mistakes and all of our issues and all of our struggles and all of our failures and to be completely loved still. And I just came to announce to you on Easter Sunday that what Paul is saying is there's only one place in the entire universe where you will be fully known for all of your flaws and all of your failures and all of your struggles and everything that's wrong in your world and be completely embraced and completely loved. In fact, more loved than you could possibly escape because nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing in the world, outside you, nothing in you. And I'm just talking to some of us who are still on a quest to find that person or to find that thing that is going to finally make me lovable. And I won't be rejected. And I'm telling you, it's not a place. It's a person. And the person is Jesus. And his rising from the dead was the confirmation that there is a version of love that your soul longs for. And it can only be found in one place. It can only be found in him. There is nothing you can do to mess it up. There is nothing the world can do to separate y'all. From the love of Jesus. Listen, I don't know what the Spirit wants to speak to you on this Easter Sunday. Maybe for some of you, it's just the reminder that God is good and he is doing good things in your life on account of Jesus. Maybe for some of you, it's the fact that, listen, Jesus has taken care of all of your mess. Stop punishing yourself when Jesus Christ has been punished for your mess. Sin. For some of you, it's feeling I'm alone and no one loves me and people just continue to walk out on my life. So I go and I try and find love in the next person and maybe this person won't walk out. They might, but there is one who will never walk away. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to that love in the person of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to invite you away from chasing other things that will never satisfy and will never love you the way your soul was designed to be loved. And I want to invite you away from trying to make things happen because you feel desperate. Come back to your father who is good and loves to spoil you with good things and lavish love on you that you don't deserve and you can never outspend. I don't know what he's inviting you to do, but I would invite you to say yes to whatever that is. Jesus has risen and he's removed every obstacle and now heaven is pouring out its best stuff on us. Will we embrace it and will we fight the lies in our world with the truth of what God says about us. father i praise you for jesus jesus thank you for kicking death's butt if i can say that in church thank you for overcoming our sin and our guilt and our shame thank you for rising victorious and offering us all that our souls ultimately long for may we come to you in faith and put our confidence in you so that our sin can be carried away so that our guilt can be carried away so that every obstacle can be removed in you. I pray for any of us who are running to other places that will run back to you to find a life, to find a joy, to find fulfillment. If anyone doesn't know you, I pray today would be the day in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.